know, you're tracking and you're like, oh, this is almost biblical language. Like it's, it's almost like this feels familiar. And yet, like with that in mind, that negates what the ending tries to tell us, which is you can't become who you're supposed to be tethered to another person, that you have to do that with complete autonomy and you have to do that with, with independence. And we know that that's not true. I mean, we, we know from a biblical narrative that we were created for community, that we were created to, to live with other people. We know that um, it is best for man not to be alone. Genesis you know, 1 and 2 tell us about God's original plan was for man and woman to co-labor together in the garden and to have unity. Thanks so much for listening to All Things, where we look at current events and cultural trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now. Welcome to All Things, everybody. I am joined today for this bonus Barbie episode of All Things with my friend and colleague, Christina Crenshaw. Christina, welcome to All Things for the second time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here to talk about Barbie. Thanks for being willing to do that. Absolutely. Well, I saw your um, your cry on Instagram. You know, somebody, let's talk about this. And I have to be honest, I wasn't planning to see the Barbie movie. Um, my daughters all were. And so they went out and I was like, oh, it's probably a silly movie. I don't want to see it. But then I started to see, you know, your reaction to it and other people's reaction. And I thought there is a lot here when it comes to Christian worldview and gender and women and feminism. And I'm like, I got to jump into this conversation. So I went out and saw it last night with a friend and one of my daughters and... Yes, indeed, there is a lot to unpack. So um, let's start. Let me just really quickly give a quick overview of what happens in the movie. So I'm just going to say now, if you haven't seen the movie and you don't like spoilers, you might not want to listen to this episode because we're not going to hold back. We're going to be kind of talking about all of it. Um, But if you have listened to it and you are dying to talk about it with a girlfriend, you have come to the right place because that's exactly what we're going to do. So let me give the plot really quick and then Christina, fill in whatever I missed just in case I don't get it all. Um, So Barbie, the, all the Barbies live in Barbie land. You know, it's this beautiful pink sort of paradise where all the Barbies have their own dream homes and the, you know, their pools and their cars and they have jobs that Barbie's a president and a doctor and a scientist and an astronaut and everything is perfect. And then stereotypical Barbie, the main character one day has this brushing thought of death. And she says, do you guys ever think about dying? And everybody's like, no, what are you talking about? And so this sort of idea is introduced into this perfect paradise. She has to leave paradise to sort of try to fix it, to figure out what to do. Um, Ken goes with her, you know, we've got all those scenes of them rollerblading on the beach, those funny things that are in all the commercials. They run into some humans, a mother-daughter human combo, um, who kind of have a rift of their own and some ideas of their own about Barbie and um, her double meaning. Those humans come back into Barbie land. And what has happened while they were gone is all the Ken dolls have set up the patriarchy. Yes, because <laughs> so, while Ken is in the real world, he discovered a very comic, comical caricature <laughs> version of patriarchy. And so he takes it back to Barbie land. Yes. Yeah. What do you, and what do you, to describe the, that patriarchy a little bit for us, Christina, because it yeah, is very funny. Yeah, deep dive into an analysis, but just so your viewers yes. understand, like, because it, it really, and I appreciate this about Greta, she is making, she is almost poking fun 
at our ideas of machismo and and macho men. And I'd like to think that like over coffee, we'd be laughing about it together because it's so ridiculous. I mean, almost so juvenile. So so Ken goes to the school library while Barbie's there recruiting the girl that she thinks she's supposed to save. And um, he discovers horses. He discovers cars. Um, what else is it that he discovers in there? I mean, he just like checking out books on patriarchy. He goes to the hospital asking if he can like do surgery on someone he, and they're like, you're not a doctor. He's like, no, but I'm a male. So it's just this, <laughs> yeah, like that gives me the right to all things. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. enamored by it because he's never had a taste of influence or power in his life. And so he abuses that by taking it back to Barbie land and just unintentionally subjugates all of the Barbie women and puts them in in power. Yes. And so to, yeah, to back up with your summary. So then Barbie comes back with her human people and then what happens? Yeah. So prior to them going into the real world, Ken is an accessory to Barbie only, you know, he's only exists in her gaze as they Mm -hmm. say. Then we get to this part where the patriarchy has been set up and the Barbies come back and realize, you know, the patriarchy has been set up and it is hilarious. I mean, I have to say like that is, one of the great things about the film is just Ryan Gosling is hilarious. Yeah. And I, I didn't know it could be so funny. Um, but anyway, they, I, I, and we'll get into themes, but I feel like they sort of come to this realization that the patriarchy is no good, but also maybe the matriarchy is no good. Yeah. And we kind of, you know, stumble our way to the end of the plot. And the plot really isn't that detailed. You know, it's it more serves, I think, as like a buffet for various ideas mm-hmm. and injecting sort of, you know, perspectives. Um, but ultimately, in the end, it feels like we come to a place where both sides realize we kind of need each other. But I'd be interested to hear, Christina, what you think in terms of what what do you think was the big idea? Or what yeah. if there's one moral of the story, did you walk away with a moral of the story? Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if I, finding an overarching theme, sort of the thread that holds it all together is a little difficult for me because there are so many ideas and ideologies and various narratives thrown at us throughout the film that trying to reconcile what is Greta, the director, really trying to convey. And I think that not to be overly reductionistic about it, but I think that the the overarching theme is female empowerment. Mm-hmm. And what grieves me, though, it, which in and of itself is a theme that I can get behind, you know, like I, I am probably more charitable to the feminist movement than I think most Christians I know, um, mostly because I can see a solid 30 to 35 percent of truth in um, feminist narratives and was raised by a single mom who earned her master's from Texas Women's University and women's literature. So I think all my life I have been studying female narratives. But what grieves me about this movie, particularly as a believer, but even just as someone with men in my life that I adore, my husband, my, my sons, is that this is not a movie of female empowerment co-laboring with men. This is female empowerment at the expense of men. And so that was, I think, the part that was a little disheartening and grievous was um, that I, I thought that we were at a place in 2023 where we realized that we don't have to um, denigrate our brothers in order to elevate our sisters, that we could do both mm-hmm. simultaneously. And I don't think that this movie depicted that. It didn't give us a healthy portrayal of what male-female co-laboring relationships look like. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. In fact, as you get, as we got to the end of the plot, what I thought was so interesting is it sort of felt like the, um, I don't know, the, the, the good ending, the happily ever after was the idea that Barbie needed to be Barbie just on her own and Ken needed to be Ken just on his own and nobody was in the shadow, as they said. Like, I'm not who I am because of you. You're not who you are because of me. We have to be completely autonomous, independent, and self-made. And so that to me is a a crippling, a paralyzing, a terrible um, happily ever after. There's nothing happy about being self-made. Um, right. Well, and that narrative doesn't um, hold water. I mean, you can poke so many holes through it because within the Barbie movie, we see that at some point the ghost of Ruth, whoever, who is was the inventor of Barbie, comes back. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. she serves very briefly, but she serves as this like God character, the creator. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she's giving um, Barbie this pep talk about how you were created to inspire others and you were created to do good things and you were created to the idea of you to live on forever. And like so much of that is evoking like biblical imagery. Like it's just like almost there. Like you were created in my image. Like she even says, like I had a daughter named Barbie and I fashioned the Barbie line in honor of my daughter. So it's almost like created in that family's image, created with a purpose, created to do good things, just be on yourself and, you know, for, for my people, so to speak. So, you know, you're tracking and you're like, oh, this is almost biblical language. Like it's, it's almost like this feels familiar. And yet like with that in mind, that negates what the ending tries to tell us, which is you can't become who you're supposed to be tethered to another person, that you have to do that with complete autonomy and you have to do that with with independence. And we know that that's not true. I mean, we we know from a biblical narrative that we were created for community, that we were created to to live with other people. We know that um, it is best for man not to be alone. Genesis, you know, 1 and two, tell us about God's original plan was for man and woman to co-labor together in the garden and to have unity. And it's really only after the fall that there's anonymity. So there was no place of like redemption there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was I was actually a little surprised to learn people were messaging in as I was processing this and saying, you know, I've heard she's a believer or she at least has a Catholic background. And I, your your listeners can go investigate this, but I even hear that she's been hired to help like do the rest of the Narnia series on Netflix. Oh, oh I didn't know. Right. So, I, which leads me to at least believe she's not a raging atheist, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even if she's not evangelical, even if she's not like closely walking forward, I have no idea. No, just completely guessing over here. But I think it's at least safe to assume that she's not antagonistic towards things of faith, or she likely wouldn't agree to take on the Narnia series, who knows? But anyway, knowing that about her, I was just a little disappointed, maybe a lot disappointed, that there wasn't more of a reconciliation or place of like hope to go from here. Like the the, the hope really was just like, that we will all live amicably, that we will be happy with whatever portion we have in life. Like if you're a Barbie in the Barbie land, you get to rule. If you're a kin, you get a small you know, position in the cabinet. 
and you all live in different houses. And that is the film's resolution, which was just so disheartening, particularly after 20 years of marriage. Like I am a better person because I love Jesus and I walk with him and because my husband edifies me. So the idea that I have to find my true self outside of a husband or, or a male, you know, some sort of a committed relationship with an opposite sex is just like ludicrous and untrue yeah. on so many levels, mm-hmm. even in a feminist narrative, like feminists recognize there's only so much you can do with the female body. It does take males to reproduce it, you know, like having two paychecks mm-hmm. is what they want. I mean, they're, anyway, so just interesting. So I think you're right that that was the ending. We all go into our separate homes and never the two shall pass. We aren't going to take our relationship any further because in Barbie land, it's like friendship is kind of all there is. There mm-hmm. isn't really anything romantic. No one mm-hmm. reproduces. There's no children. There's no one young. I mean, really, everyone's just frozen in time. Um, so that just felt like a shallow, cheap, unrealistic resolution to a movie that I felt was asking me to to think very deeply about things it was throwing at me. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? No, I agreed with all of that. And I did feel that as well. You know, I went in with a notebook ready to take some notes for this conversation. And um, I felt that too. I'm like, gosh, I am trying to process so much right now. Is this scene, you know, feminist or is it critiquing feminism or is this scene, you know, pro-Ken or is it critiquing the patriarchy? I couldn't always put it together because it felt like the messages were really multi-layered. And um, after last night, I watched a couple different interviews where Greta Gerwig, you know, sort of explained some of her motives and thinking behind it. And she did set out to do that. She set out very much to convey a complicated message and convey the idea that Barbie, there's some good things about Barbie in terms of like the aspirational, maybe feminist agenda behind Barbie. And then there's some terrible things about Barbie in terms of body image and objectifying women. And so she was intentional in sort of communicating a complicated message that nobody could boil down. And (laughs) she was very successful. Um, Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about Ruth Handler, the creator of Barbie. Um, Something I found really interesting. I knew this before going into the show. Well, first of all, were you allowed to play with Barbie as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. I had a ton of Barbie as a kid. I mean, some of them ended up looking like weird Barbie, you know, like I wasn't always real mm-hmm. kind to them, you know, pull their heads off. And then once you do that, yes. you know, there's no going back. Like the head like just goes on like that afterwards, you know, and I'd mark them yes. up. But no, I, I played with Barbies. I even was joking with someone um, that my kid dog got confiscated when I was nine because they were sharing an unwed bed. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if that ever happened to you. But yeah, my parents were strict about that. Like, yeah, there was actually no conversation in the movie about that. And I know I wasn't the only kid to like make Ken and Barbie get married or Ken and Barbie like oh, yeah. make out, you know. But um, I know sure. a lot of my girlfriends did that because we'd get in trouble for doing it. But you saw none of that in this film there was no romantic relationship yeah I thought that was interesting as well um I kept thinking that Ken and Barbie would fall in love but that was not the narrative and maybe Mm -hmm. that was intentional you know maybe she didn't want that happily ever after because they fell in love she clearly wanted happily ever after because they were their own person um but something that I knew about the creation of Barbie she was created back in the 50s by this woman Ruth Handler um and this I think is really interesting and a little bit telling the doll was modeled after a doll that already existed in Germany. 
hmm. that was intent that was created to be like a sort of sexual risque gag gift. So this like very, wow. um, you know, sexual body, she's got these huge breasts, you know, the curves, yeah. um, you know, if Barbie tried to stand up, we all know she'd fall over. She could never walk. Um, but Ruth wanted to create this doll for her daughter, Barbie, because she saw her doll playing with paper dolls, but she chose this German doll that was, was like hyper-sexualized. And so that's what we've all ended up with decades later is this very, very sexual image of who Barbie is. Um, so I just think the Ruth character, you know, you, you, we could talk a little bit more about her being the creator because I do think that was so interesting. Um, one other thing I'll quickly, and then I want you to talk about Ruth or the creator piece. Um, when uh, Barbie has tea with Ruth, when she finds her little place in the Mattel building and she has tea, I, I noticed there was something strange about that scene, but I couldn't put my finger on it. But when I read some articles afterward last night, apparently when Ruth gives Barbie the tea, that is meant to evoke Michelangelo's God touching Adam, the creation of Adam. Um, and so it's the creator touching the created is what that scene was supposed to sort of communicate Oh, was there so like a zoom sense. in? There's a zoom in and like their hands touching or something or like, mm -hmm. okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. did, I did pick up on her as the the God figure and the character, and of course, God is a woman. Um, but at the same time, it's it's paralleling real life. I mean, in real life, Ruth was the creator of this big Barbie enterprise, um, and so I'm not, you know, nearly as offended as I've heard some people be about a female playing the God character because that is her creator. Um, and I didn't know that about Germany and um, how she was originally fashioned. I think in the film, she says you were inspired by my daughter, Barbara. And that's how she mm -hmm. got the, the name Barbie. Um, but yes, I thought, it, again, I'm still thinking on that scene. And then there's, you know, the scene where they meet and it's the ghost of Ruth. Because I don't know, she's still alive. Why is it the ghost of Ruth? Do we know? I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't, so did they resurrect her for the film? Is she still alive? That I don't know. But then there's another scene later on where, you know, Barbie is having this full-blown existential crisis, and she, like, doesn't know where to live, what to do with herself, that sort of thing. She thinks she wants to be real and not just an idea. And you can see this very godlike talk with her, mm -hmm. affirming her of her identity and purpose and telling her, if you want to become fully real, then you have to be in a real world. And, and so, again, like, so much of it was just, it, it just seemed to emulate, to speak to this um, biblical idea of creation and the Imago Dei and what we're created for and what we can do with our lives. There's just, it, it resonated deeply with like a lot of vocation conversations that I've had within the church. Um, yeah, but I would say that it, that to me felt, and I'd get, love your thoughts on this, Jen, it felt a little forced or a little manufactured, mm. or it just didn't, maybe because it wasn't funny, but it also wasn't so profound that I left like, thinking, oh, these will make great Twitter quotes. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what to do with those scenes. What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Like when you saw this interaction with um, Ruth Handler and Barbie, what were kind of some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, agreed. Because the film is like so bright and cheery and funny and lighthearted, but then at the same time, 
is trying to explore these deeper existential themes. Then when the creator comes on the scene, you know, on the one hand, it makes sense because we're exploring our existence. On the other hand, it's like, this really does not go with the rollerblading on the beach vibe. So um, agreed. I was like, what, what are we going to get out of this theme? And I think the reason you and I feel unsatisfied with it is because we know the truth about the creator and we know the truth about why we were created. And we know the truth about Eve being created from Adam as his helper, but we know that that word helper and the meaning behind it is strong and beautiful and good and that Eve was not an afterthought and she wasn't created to be the secretary or the intern who fetches the coffee, but she was created because Adam was incomplete without her and that was not good. And mm -hmm. he, the Lord God knew Adam to bear my image, we need Eve on the scene as well. And she's, you know, an ally and a, and a picture of strength. And as you've said about your marriage, you know, the, the way that we sharpen one another and build one another up and work toward the creation mandate and all those good themes that was missing from it. And, and Barbie's creator just said, you know, humans come up with ideas to cope with how hard life is. She said that in that scene mm -hmm. and ideas live on, but people don't. So I made you this idea to help people cope with how hard life is. Yeah. Which almost seems to me like a mockery of my faith. Like, I, I mean, I don't want to completely project that onto Greta, particularly knowing that, I mean, there's a number of interviews where she talks about her Catholic education growing up. I've seen Lady Bird, so some of the themes are there. And then it, it, assuming this is true, that she's going to be working on Narnia. Again, I want to be as charitable as possible, but it did feel that Barbie's creator mocked in, intentionally or unintentionally my creator. Mm -hmm. You know, like some of the pep talks were so very similar and tracking with what scripture says about us, about our identity being made in him. And um, again, like you know, what we'd already talked about, being made for a purpose beyond ourselves, that sort of thing. Um, but then to say, you know, well, people don't live forever. And that's true. Um, but ideas last and ideas are a way of coping. I don't know. Is she referring to faith? Is she referring to the mm -hmm. things that we believe that Barbie was purposed to help people believe in something beyond themselves, but that it's really all a ruse? Mm -hmm. I don't yeah, know. I mean, that that's kind of, kind of what I walked away with was that um, these ideas are nice for coping mechanisms, but we all know they're not really real. And so yeah. what's real is you and how you create yourself as an individual and as an independent woman. That's all that really matters. Um, so get what you can while you can because your life will last. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Sad. And it's really, it is, it's bleak. It's so bleak. Um, and, yeah. you know, do what you can, get what you can and do it alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, she did yeah. have um, the, you know, kind of solidarity, I guess, of America Furrow's character and her daughter. So she had the mm -hmm. female companionship, but, but certainly this film did not elevate our brothers in Christ. It did not elevate our husbands. And it, it outside of a feminist narrative and, and inside the biblical worldview, there's just no way to sustain that sort of assertion that you don't need men. And mm -hmm. I felt like that was a, that was kind of a takeaway. I mean, we we saw that the matriarchy was flawed. I mean, it, no one would say that it's okay for all of these males to feel purposeless, aimless, subjugated. Like that's not good. And we can all agree that there are parts of the patriarchy that are problematic and need to be addressed. You know, like absolutely, it's 
would be difficult not to argue that. But then where I felt like the film let us down is there was no resolution. It was like, it just leaves us with this place of fallenness and in, um, just the strife between men and women, you know, so the Genesis, you know, one and two narrative, it's everything was made perfectly. This is how God planned the fall humans, fragility, prone to sin, prone to wonder were kicked out. And the Lord says, you will forever be at odds with each other that, you know, man will toil the earth and woman will experience pain and child laboring, which might also explain why there's no pain in childbearing in Barbie land, because it's mm. like this utopia. So there, there can't be like real pain there. And if you experience any semblance of pain or questioning the existence, you got to go. So in that sense, it's like really emulating the biblical <laughs> narrative, but, um, it never gave us a resolution. I felt like even our own secular, you know, atheist perspectives give a better closure to that film than what Greta provided coming from a faith yeah. background. So, so the solution mm-hmm. really is just, I'm, I'm on my own, like just do what I can to self-actualize until I die and I'll find happiness through self-actualizing. <laughs> Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I think it is. Yeah. Well, um, what a lonely yeah, narrative. It is. It is. I, I mean, I think, you know, we all walked away from the film immediately feeling like, oh, I liked it. It was fun. It was, you know, that was visually pleasing. There were some hilarious songs and dance numbers and costumes. And so somehow Greta kept it lighthearted and pleasing enough that you walk away from it going, that was fun, you know. It's when you sit down and sort of really think about like what was exactly was communicated where it starts to get um, complicated, but also I think discouraging. Um, yeah, a little and, murky. Yeah. Well, and here's yeah. one thing, Jen, that I haven't really heard people talking about. Again, I have not listened to or read any interviews. Now, people have sent me some clips of things, but you know, sometimes it's like Greta on TikTok, and I don't even have TikTok, so I can't even really open it. Um, I haven't, but but conversations I've had sort of off, well, I guess really online through DMs and, and that sort of thing. But I found a little bit of hope in the very ending. And other yeah, women have disagreed. Yeah, other women have disagreed with me, but I and I, perhaps this is being colored, you know, through the lens of what I walked through in 2021. Short version of that, you know, stood up publicly for women's rights, said the new Title IX mandate that allows biological males to now occupy and compete in women's spaces is unsafe and unfair. Super viral for that, you know. So I have this long history of actually like really standing up for women. And so I think that it felt affirming or it felt the no, you know, maybe it's just coincidence, but I have a hard time believing that, that Greta was taking a stance with the gender, the postmodern gender narratives about anyone can be a woman and being a woman is what you feel because, you know, Barbie does become real, so to speak, through her feelings, but it is, um, actualized or measured or verified but the very end when she goes to the OBGYN office when she goes yeah. to the gynecologist you know and I first thought that she was going to a job interview and there's a little mm-hmm. part of me it all happened so quickly that I wasn't really able to process it but I remember thinking in that moment where she's sitting in the car and getting dropped off for what I assumed was going to be a job interview and thinking oh sad is this the message we really want to give women and young women that you become real and you become a perp 
person and you have purpose in the real world by your place of employment. You know, because jobs are like so fleeting. I mean, we're called to work. I'm a big believer in work and vocation. But telling someone that like this solidifies who you are when you go and get a job and you contribute and you're working, now you are fully human. I thought, gosh, that's a really terrible message to send. So perhaps because I was waiting for that letdown, I was actually relieved to see, oh, no, what makes Barbie fully woman is that she's going to the gynecologist's office because she now has a vagina. And there's that part in the movie, you know, where she jokes about like the rollerblade she says to someone who's like groping her, like, I don't have a vagina and he doesn't have a penis mm-hmm. and can get all defensive, which I thought was funny. To me, that is like funny patriarchy. Like, of course, the male is going to be like, yes, I do. You know, anyway. But I, so what did you think about the ending? Because I thought the ending was Greta's way of taking a stance and saying, what is it that is a universal woman experience? And that is a gynecologist office. That is not something Ken needs to do. That is not something, you know, like that is very clearly welcome to being a woman. And I think that, you know, most girls 13 and up can relate. That's about the mm-hmm. time I, I remember first going, you know, my mom scheduled an appointment with me to go. And so there was something in that, that not from a biblical perspective per se, but if, if the biblical narrative is so grounded in biology for defining um, our, our, our sex and gender, not exclusively, there's a spiritual element there as well, definitely. But primarily, we would differentiate male and female by our biology, and the Bible affirms that. And I felt like that was affirmed at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts? Yes. So we were equally shocked by that ending and just sort of left speechless sitting in our seats like, what was, where did that come from? And I am with you. So I have a couple thoughts about it. And I actually read Greta's thoughts on it last night. Okay, yes, tell um, me Greta's thoughts. Yes, so like you, and I think it's because I am absolutely swimming in these waters of gender and gender identity and how the church can respond, was like, okay, she said it. Females have vaginas. Thank God somebody has finally said it. I'm with Greta on this. But then as I sort of processed it a little more on the way home, I thought, you know what? I think maybe what Greta was getting at is that all women – have, should have access to healthcare. I, I, I don't know that it wasn't like a reproductive rights statement rather than um, a biology of female statements, especially because they treated pregnancy as weird and motherhood as non-existent throughout the whole film. I felt like maybe her agenda in the end was access to reproductive, you know, quote unquote, healthcare was her point. When I got mm. home and read more about her perspective, she said, I really wanted to end the movie in like a uh, sort of a winsome fun, like kind of go out with a bang. I think she said, drop the mic joke kind of moment is how she wanted to end the movie. And so she said, she felt as she was growing up and going through puberty, as all girls do, that she felt so awkward and weird about her body and just wanted to kind of cover it up and going to the gynecologist was hard and embarrassing and tricky. And isn't that what we all feel? And isn't that what is absolutely leading to rapid onset gender dysphoria? But that's another podcast for another time. So she wanted to end with uh, a nod to all girls that we've, it's hard for all of us, it's awkward for all of us, but we all need to go. This is a unifying experience. This is something that we all share and sort of make light, I guess, of becoming a woman in that this is something we all do together. 
So Hmm. I'm not sure that either one of us perceived it quite right. And I'm not really sure if Greta knows exactly what she wanted to say with that ending, but it was a surprising ending. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to read articles. I'd have to hear directly from her because otherwise I'm just speculating. But what I can say is the way that it landed on me is it was a mic drop, maybe not the mic drop she was intending, but even if it, if she meant for it to be sort of humorous, like, Oh, this awful shared experience, like a mammogram, like no one wants to go get a mammogram, but it's like only women with breast tissue go and get mammograms and it's pretty awful, but we all do it. And there is some solidarity in it. But even then, I feel like that speaks to like, what does a man not do? And males do not go to the gynecologist. I know that there are going to be people out there that are like trans women who have transitioned do. And I'm like, I'm just not even here for that conversation, but whatever, you know, so what, you know, like it is a very unifying and universal experience for women. Um, And it differentiates them from men. And if the whole film has this undertone of feminism in it, then I don't know. I guess I took a little bit of heart uh, in that Mm -hmm. final scene. Like it was her, perhaps she didn't mean for it to be this like magnum opus and like her stance on on gender theories. But for me, I, I, you know, just again, found some comfort in like, okay, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. This is what being Mm -hmm. a woman looks like. It is going to a gynecologist because you have a vagina and there is a difference. There is, I mean, like all of the things up in the movie could have been um, mutually exchanged by Ken or Barty, but there wasn't any experience. that was like, Oh, that is distinctly feminine or that is distinctly male. In fact, the males are, you know, often pretty emasculated in this film. But that again was like something I was like, when you want to talk about like what are not the, but at least a top defining difference between men and women, I mean, our anatomy is it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I completely agree, and I think it did it did become a mic drop that she may or may not have intended, um, but definitely see what you're saying and agree with you there. And I did find it interesting, and I kept kind of expecting the film to um, convey maybe a trans agenda, um, a transgender agenda. I, I I expected at some point to hear like Barbies can be Kens and Kens can be Barbies, but you never did hear that. One of yeah. the Barbies was played by a biological male who okay. um, is trans has transitioned to being a woman, which I thought was interesting, but even that character wasn't really played up or like centered. And so the film is kind of absent of the trans conversation, but we sort of do see it there at the end. Um, but Christina, something I would love for you to explore because it's, it's a blind spot for me or it's an area that I don't have your firsthand experience but can you talk more about just the masculine aspect of the film? Because I know you have sons and you're always very like thoughtful and careful to interpret what's going on in culture with the idea of having sons in mind. And I have daughters. And so I, I want to hear more about how you perceive that, you know, emasculating message of the movie. Yeah. You know, so I think I first started to pause and consider, well, what about our brothers? What about the males in our life? When I was working on my PhD um, and I wasn't a mother yet. um, And to even back up farther than that, I was probably swimming in feminist narratives more than the average person, Um, maybe not more than the average academic, but more than the average person by way of having a single mom who is earning a master's Mm -hmm. degree in women's literature. And so even at like the tender age of like second grade, she would read me like Virginia Woolf or, um, you know, just other women authors. I mean, or even some like some, you know, more innocuous, innocent things um, like Jane Austen. But 
always wanting to highlight the contribution of women specifically to literature. I, I don't really have any memories of her doing that with like, you know, math and science um, leaders, mm-hmm. but particularly within the, the area of literature, you know, Shelley Wollstonecraft and um, anyway, so, or Mary Wollstonecraft and then um, her daughter, Shelley. But yeah, so I, I've i always had a heart for women, particularly growing up with a single mom, started doing anti-trafficking work as my research agenda, was always very pro-woman, but I don't remember ever feeling like I needed to be pro-woman at the expense of males. Um, I could see the data showed and history shows the ways that women across you know, globally have been subjugated and, and today still subjugated and um, abused, marginalized. That is definitely true more for women and children than it's ever been for, for men in our current time and historically. And so I think that the feminist agenda, there is some validity there that I never want to completely discount or discredit or negate because it has opened my eyes to seeing ways that women have been relegated to second fiddle or, you know, have not had opportunities. That's all very true. But what has grieved me is um, the ways that feminism has done that, particularly with third and fourth ways feminism, not as much with first and second, but they have really... Um, at the expense of our males, elevated women. And so in graduate school, I started reading the the crisis, the male crisis that was occurring in K through 12 and even higher education, where males were not keeping up with females academically, and they weren't keeping up with females, even as far as participation in sports. And so you have a lot of varied reasons for this, you know, just to go through a few at a very macro level, but you've got the rise of um, video games. And so that has created some passivity in males. Because we have elevated women so much, we have in some ways eclipsed boys in school. We know that schools are really not designed for males. I mean, they cater more to a feminine personality to sit in the desk all day, you know, be obedient, don't talk out, you know, that sort of thing. But data does show that males are now suffering. They are behind females academically, professionally. The only place that that's not still true is in high levels of corporate leadership and, and government, which the film does portray, you know, all of the Mattel corporate guys are guys, guys of every, you know, color, but they're all males. And, um, and so again, I wasn't like real offended by that. I thought it was kind of funny. Um, although I don't know that we have anything that imbalanced anymore in corporate, that, that does still exist, that imbalance. But I think my heart and sensitivity is in knowing that actually the patriarchy, as we're calling it, is is hurting. They're falling behind. Um, so the mental health of, of males, and a lot of my information is coming from Warren Farrell's um, book, Dr. Warren Farrell, The Boy Crisis. It's a really thick but good read. I think I saw, um, there's another book I'll have to tell you and give you in the show notes later by Nancy somebody, um, mm-hmm. Guthrie maybe, Piercy. Yeah. Uh, Nancy, Nancy Piercy. Piercy. There it is. Perfect. The the toxic war I'm asking. Yes. Perfect. So we had, we had exchanged back and forth on Twitter and I asked her, have you read Morn Farrell's The Boy Crisis? And she said, yes, I cite him in here a lot. So I have not read Nancy's book, but I want to, but it Mm -hmm. seems to to talk on the same themes that Warren Farrell, who's not a Christian, he's just secular academic, but he's looking into all of this data on how males are not really graduating from high school as they once were. They're not going on to undergrad, you know, 
females um, out enroll males in undergrad. Now females earn just as many PhDs as males do. Um, so some of the hardcore feminists will like kind of say, well, like, oh, boo-hoo, women are finally shining and, you know, men it's their turn to take back seat, kind of like the Barbie movie did, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm over here saying, no, as a mother to two boys, as a wife of my husband for 20 years, I want the males to do well too. This isn't a zero sum game that we mm -hmm. can simultaneously elevate each other. If we see that our brothers are slipping into deep holes of violence and video games and apathy and pornography, then that is an opportunity for men and women to come in and work together and raise up males. If we see that yeah. women don't have a seat at the table, the literal corporate table, that is an opportunity to say, hey, what if we got some diverse thought on this board? Um, and so I think the idea of elevating each other doesn't have to come at the expense of relegating the other gender. So mm -hmm. I just saw that through a hypersensitive lens yeah. where I'm always looking to see, okay, how are we elevating our sisters, but in a way that's not at the expense of our brothers. Mm. So. That's good. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I think that is the tension in the film and that is the tension even in the church right now, right? How do we function and live as brothers and sisters who edify and sharpen and cheer one another on? That's very much the question we're all asking right now. Um, okay, well, I know, Christina, we are just about out of time. Anything, any other final thoughts, burning thoughts that you really wanted to get out there or process real quick before we sign off? Well, okay, other than I wish that the movie had portrayed some more healthy male-female relationships, because there were none, really, unless we want to say that, like, Barbie and Ken agreeing to just shake hands in park ways amicably was, like, good resolution, which I would disagree. Because I really think that Ken had affection for Barbie, and it just was unrequited. The other sort of thing that I felt was problematic was the lack of healthy portrayal of children and motherhood mm -hmm. in Barbie land. Mm -hmm. But it didn't really get much better in the real world either. We saw with America Ferrero's character, I wish I could remember her name, her mm -hmm. character's name, but, and the daughter yeah. had immense tension and I, it was, you know, sort of solved by the end after experiencing Barbie land together, but you didn't really see that with the dad at all. The dad was kind of a buffoon. You know, the very he few was. clips we saw, he was like doing just embarrassing things. So again, like <laughs> even in the real world, so it's like, okay, fine. If you want to keep Barbie land run by the matriarchy, it always has been, you know, whatever, except that that's reverse commentary on like, well, the world's always been run by patriarchy, get over it. You know, so if, if, if the matriarchy wants to see change, then why wouldn't we see change first in Barbie land? But that aside, even in the real world, there weren't any healthy male-female relationships. And the daughter-mother relationship was very strained for the majority mm -hmm. of the movie. So there was like not... There was not a lot of healthy relationship. There wasn't a value for motherhood. You know, America Ferrero's character gives that like one monologue where she sort of drops like, what if a woman wants to be an astronaut? Or what if she wants to be a mom? Or what if she wants to be an astronaut mom? But that wasn't ever developed. So it just felt like mm -hmm. lip service, you know, like it was just like, a, oh, by the way, if you decide you want to stay home, that's valid too. We're not going to mm -hmm. give you any depictions of that. We're not going to mm -hmm. give you any characters that you see yourself in. In fact, the one pregnant Barbie is like relegated to the treehouse and can't come out and everyone thinks she's weird. Yeah. So that was another yeah. part where I was like, oh, they did not treat motherhood 
or male-female relationships with any level of respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I did think that, that the monologue that she had a couple times, the human mother in the film, mm -hmm. um, I did like that a lot coming, you know, from the, the feminist perspective, perhaps, is that um, there are a lot of expectations placed on women in the 21st century. And I, my girls latched onto a few of the lines, like, you, um, you know, be you thin, but not too thin. Yes, be thin, but not too thin. And you have to say, well, I really just want to be healthy, you know, because you can't say the wrong thing. Or you have to love being a mom, but not talk about your kids too much. And you have to be direct, mm -hmm. but you also have to be nice. And there's just I thought that monologue was powerful and I resonated with it and felt like, yeah, she is nailing it. That is what it feels like to be a woman in secular and Christian spaces, I feel, in many ways. Yeah. Um, so I appreciated that perspective very much. Um, but it didn't really, you know, it just kind of was like, yep, it's hard. There wasn't necessarily, as you say, there wasn't necessarily a resolution to it. I did appreciate that she said, what if we just want to be ordinary women? And I, you know, mm -hmm. I can standing ovation for that all day long, like more just ordinary women. Can we have ordinary lives where we serve our God and our family? But um, so I, I, I like that. And I think that's what a lot of women probably walk away from the film with is loving that and clapping for that. And I can get on board with that. Um, but as we've said in a number of ways, it didn't carry it on to completion the way that it could have. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think most of us would resonate. Most women would resonate with that, that monologue, because being a woman is hard and is complicated. And I would even go so far as to say that it's harder and more complicated than being a male. Um, mm -hmm. And yet, mm -hmm. as I say that, I wonder what Ken would say if he got a monologue, like, well, sure. it's really hard to live in your shadow and it's really hard to not have a purpose. And it's really hard to like, feel like we are more than friends, but you won't ever let me in your house. You know, like, so I, I think that I kind of walked away too, thinking whatever that the female monologue was that did resonate mm -hmm. deeply with me as well. I wanted to be fair and recognize that there's a male monologue too. Like I was mm -hmm. kind of imagining if my husband were standing there, he did not go see it with me. I went with some girlfriends. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I bet his monologue would look something like, well, it's really hard to be the male provider, but then also not be so strong that I'm not sensitive or mm -hmm. it's hard to like, you know, I have to be interested in sports and coach my kids sports, but I have to pretend that I don't also want to go see Broadway plays, you know, like there's like this <laughs> duality of expectations that's on males too. Um, sure. And so it's not just females that feel the pressure to like be all things mm. to all people, though I would probably like assert, and maybe we can find research to back this up, that males don't struggle with that dualism and duality as much as women, maybe we're more mm -hmm. heightenedly aware Maybe it's because the world is run by the patriarchy. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. yes, I thought that that monologue was was a redemptive aspect of the film. It was the first time yeah. sitting there that I was like, this resonates. The rest yes. didn't necessarily resonate, but this really resonated. Um, but I was sad that they didn't. So you you bring up these ideas, but you don't give us any characters to look at as like regular people. You don't give us any sort of resolution as to what it looks like to live a life less complicated or more ordinary and to be okay with that. So it just felt like lip service a little where they're like, mm -hmm. we recognize mm -hmm. that this is really hard, but we have no solutions either. So let's just all go to the gynecologist instead. Call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Well, I think we better wrap this up. I know you have kids to pick up from camp and hopefully this conversation has served people well. Um, Everybody who's listening, we'd love your input on social media on Christina's page or my page as well. Chime in with your thoughts. What did we miss? What do you disagree with? What do you agree with? Let's keep the conversation going. Christina, I'm always thankful for your insight. Thank you for sharing it on all things today. Oh, well, thank you, Jen, for inviting me to come on and and discuss it more. I've been trying to process it with my husband and to no avail because he didn't watch it. He wouldn't wouldn't talk about it. It was on social media. So thank you for (laughs) filling that need to like really discuss something that I have been wrestling with the past couple of days. Absolutely. I had the same need. People have asked me like, would you go Mm -hmm. see it again? And I don't know what you're telling people, but I'm like, yes, like just go eyes wide open. Maybe don't take little kids. And you know, mm-hmm. enjoy it for being silly, think through the hard things it presents, and stay rooted in what you know to be true biblically. Yeah. And yeah. Then it's just enjoyable. Yes, I agree one hundred percent. I would recommend going to see it for this very purpose of let's unpack some of our history and our perspectives and cultural agendas and how we see ourselves as women and how we care for one another and cheer for our brothers. Like this is valuable. In the end, I think the movie is really valuable and worth um, taking a look and having these conversations. So I'm really glad that we did. Yeah. Well, I'm still hopeful that in part two, Ken and Barbie get married and have a family and that the narrative can be that that is a happy life as well. (laughs) And they co-labor in the church with gladness as brothers and sisters spurring one another on out in in culture, out in church, out in their families. And sharing their Barbie house so that no one amongst them has need. (laughs) That's right. So it, Bottom line, read your Bibles. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Christina. And thank you, everybody, for listening to all things. We appreciate you tuning in. Keep in touch with us online.